Hello and welcome to this newest edition of What in the World is Dyscalculia, the podcast all about the math learning disability. This podcast is sponsored by EduCalc Learning and I am your host, Dr. Honora Wall. If you've listened to our podcast in the past, you know that I had begun the podcast originally using uh, the term the way I heard it, the way I first had my training in dyscalculia. Now, to be phonetically proper, the correct pronunciation is dyscalculia, and we did talk about that in the very first podcast. I still maintain that in whichever accent you use, whichever emphasis on the syllables, and however you get those vowel sounds out, as long as we're talking about the math learning disability, I am a happy person. However, when you know better, you do better, and since dyscalculia is the technically correct term, we're going to start using that more frequently in the podcast. Now, I might slip up, because certainly the first few years of my training, I only heard people saying dyscalculia. And, of course, a difference in pronunciation is only one of the many, many different misconceptions and misunderstandings about the math learning disability. And that's what we try to clear up in these podcasts. But today I want to talk a little bit about something exciting as we start another new school year. Uh, There are a lot of interesting things going on out there that I'd like to make you aware of. One, of course, is the nonprofit that I recently opened, the Dyscalculia, Dyscalculia Training and Research Institute. The website for that is www.dtri.org. And hopefully you can check us out and uh, we'll be expanding that website, putting more information and links and research and really focusing on the awareness piece through that 501c3. In the near future, as we start taking funds and doing fundraising, getting donations for that, those donations will be going towards printing, creating, and distributing uh, brochures and pamphlets to psychologists, especially school psychologists, school guidance counselors, so that school administrators, teachers, parents, and students have some ready access to frequently asked questions and information about dyscalculia and what it looks like in the classroom and how to best support students who have this learning disability. And then, of course, I really want to expand a lot into the field of supporting adults who have this math learning disability and are looking for resources of their own. So those are some exciting things we'll be doing in this upcoming year. Another thing I'm very excited about is the online math courses EduCalc Learning is putting out that are designed for people with dyscalculia. So the accommodations, interventions, the increased scaffolding, uh, training and how to use the right support tools, the direct instruction, all of that is built into the program by design. And right now we have a fifth grade an Algebra 2, and a personal financial literacy available. We're building out more grade levels. And you can find out more 
at educalclearning.com or email me, Honora, H-O-N-O-R-A, at educalclearning.com. But not only exciting things in-house, there's a lot of exciting things in the broader community. And one of those exciting things is the increased awareness and interest in dyscalculia. I've had a lot of people email me and reach out. and We're having very interesting conversations about dyscalculia, how it intersects with the field of gifted students, um, how visual spatial skills in all areas can help students who have dyscalculia where those things overlap and how having strong visual spatial skills certainly makes overcoming the challenges of dyscalculia much easier and that doesn't mean that you have to have strong visual spatial skills it just means that if a student has weaker visual spatial skills or working memory if you're looking at a neuropsych evaluation you want to look at visual spatial skills, working memory skills, um, and executive function skills. Because the stronger those areas are, the faster the accommodations are going to make sense. And the more success a student is going to have quickly. And if we have lower skills in those areas, then we just want to add in a few more accommodations, especially extended time, especially direct instruction, and avoiding some of the um, problem-solving lessons or the problem-based learning, which is very popular in education right now. Nothing wrong with problem-based learning and discovery-based learning. Those are great tools that we have to get students engaged in it excited. However, for neurodiverse students, sometimes that discovery piece can be a little more difficult because what are you supposed to discover and how do you know if you found it? So for educators, if you're using a lot of those types of lessons, make sure you're doing bridge building with students who have learning challenges because they might not be building the bridge you want on their own or they might not be sure what kind of bridge they're supposed to be building in their knowledge as they're doing this discovery-based learning. So just help them out. But it's great to have these conversations. I've had people ask for the links to different research articles I talk about in the podcast. I'm happy to share those with you. If you have a copy of my book, Teaching Students with Dyscalculia, there's tons of references in the back of that book. You can get that at Amazon or at your local bookstore. Definitely support your local bookstores, especially the independent bookstore owners. You can also get it on Kindle and still have access to all of those references or reach out to me and I'm happy to share them with you. I also had a really great conversation with Dr. Sandra Elliott at TouchMath and many of you are probably familiar with the TouchMath program. And if you visit their website, they're going to explain their work much better than than I can. But basically, touch math is a way to support uh, the understanding of numeracy, to support counting and adding skills, and to use a tactile inter 
action, basically, uh, to strengthen that. And we know that counting on fingers and using our fingers to count and having that that tactile touch-based um, process while we're counting and thinking about numbers is shown to increase neurological connections and understanding and strengthen numeracy. Uh, Dr. Elliot and I had a great conversation about dyscalculia, about the growing interest across the K-12 landscape and how we can support each other in getting more information out there. Um, One of their new products, I guess we could say, it is free, so I hate to call it a product, but one of their their, uh, things they have on the market is a screener for dyscalculia. And I want to talk about that for a minute. I will tell you, I am not affiliated with TouchMath. If you go to the website I'm about to give you or go to TouchMath itself, there's no kickback. This is not an affiliate link. Uh, Just colleagues sharing information. We both have the same end goal, which is to bring more awareness and more support to people who have dyscalculia. So in that vein, I want to share this dyscalculia screener because I really enjoyed it and I think it's a great tool for people who suspect they or their children or their students might have dyscalculia. You can take it at any age and it is quick, it's free, and then you get an emailed report about some strengths and weaknesses and key indicators that may or may not suggest dyscalculia for you. So the website for that is https colon slash slash. That's a pretty normal setup. Uh, And the name of the website is D, as in dyscalculia, Y, S, C, so disc, test, T-E-S-T dot com. So sort of a shortened version of dyscalculia test dot com. D-Y-S-C test. And again, that's not an affiliate, but just go check it out. Um, It can really help you understand yourself or your students a little more completely in some different areas of number sense and basic fact recognition and whether or not there's an indication that further testing should be done. I know a lot of people struggle with getting referrals for evaluations and our public schools in the U.S. are responsible for that initial testing and screening for learning disabilities. Beyond the law, and that is federal law, but beyond that there's also resource allocation and it can be difficult for a lot of public school systems to uh, support the cost of screening and then testing. And we, in as in many fields, we have a shortage of people trained and able to deliver and read these evaluations. A neuropsych eval is not something that can be done by anyone. You have to be a trained individual and the people who administer and interpret those tests go through a lot of training. They really know what they're doing and it's specific information, which is why those evaluations are so great. 
I love reading the neuropsych evals because they give a ton of information that help us support students quickly and effectively. But if you're having trouble getting to that stage, maybe your school is still looking at some early interventions, maybe you're in a response to intervention program, or maybe your idea of there being an issue is different from the school or teacher's idea of whether or not there's an issue, uh, taking a screener like this free one that uh, the people at TouchMath developed can help you have some information you can then take back to the school and make a stronger case for having an evaluation. Or you might get a report back that says there are not indicators of dyscalculia and then you can make some decisions based on that. Certainly not every struggling math student has a learning disability. Dyscalculia is very specific and we know it affects somewhere between 8 and 12. I like to shoot for 10 percent of the population but that means there's about 90 percent of the population who do not have a learning disability even though we know that if we're lucky half of our students are actually passing math at uh, an advanced or even competent math level. So we know a lot of people struggle, but there's a lot of different reasons for it. And finding out more information about what the problem could be will help you and your school, or as a teacher, help you and your class get the best resources and support. The other good news in that conversation is that when you look at the appropriate accommodations and interventions for dyscalculia, they're going to help everybody. So if you're a teacher and you're trying to figure out how to help your struggling students, you don't have to keep reinventing the wheel or have a number of different activities. If you can extend the use of a 1 to 100s chart, work more with the number line, allow students to use a calculator and have worked examples, help them to develop a system of notes or a reference sheet that makes sense to them and use those during classwork, homework, quizzes, and if they have a learning disability, also on a test. If you'll put in those accommodations and use more direct instruction as your intervention, then everyone is going to get better at math and that rising tide will lift all ships. Your difference is that people who do not have a learning disability are going to naturally move away from those accommodations and interventions, whereas the people who have dyscalculia are going to need those accommodations. The same way people who wear glasses continue to wear glasses. You don't wear glasses for two years and then suddenly your near or far-sightedness has fixed itself. You just wear glasses and it's really not a big deal accommodating students with a learning disability of any kind is also not a big deal. And I hope that in this new school year, we have a lot more conversations about this. We have a lot more awareness and shared information. And I hope we have a lot more classrooms using these accommodations. Even if you do not use the same accommodations at your end of year state mandated testing. 
I can tell you from personal experience, I've seen this numerous times. You use the right accommodations and interventions and raise everyone's understanding throughout the school year, those test scores are going to go up at the end of the year. You will see those increases in annual progress that we're all looking for in the classroom. If you have questions about any of the things I talked about today, the Dyscalculia, oh, Dyscalculia Training and Research Institute as a nonprofit. If you'd like to help us get more information into the hands of school psychologists and school counselors, please visit the DTRI.org or email me. If you have information that you need to know, I'm happy to answer questions. If you're interested in what we're doing with our math courses, which can be used in classrooms. I do have some classrooms at private schools and um, online academies who are using these courses and giving students credit for them. I'm happy to share the curriculum with you. And uh, if you have questions about that dyscalculia screener, check out disctest.com, that's D-Y-S-C, or look into TouchMath for more information on that program. And let's have a great school year. I'm really excited for the things that are coming up. I think we're all going to have a great time supporting people of all ages with the math learning disability. Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Honora Wall, and you're listening to the What in the World is Dyscalculia podcast. See you soon.